Welcome to the Supply Chain Pioneers Podcast, where we highlight industry leaders on the forefront of innovation and technology in planning, procurement, and logistics. Hosted by your supply chain pro to know, Ulf Venn. Welcome back to Supply Chain Pioneers. This week with my good friend, John Bovitt. I actually talk to him on a daily basis because we both work at Everstream. The reason he was interviewed is because he's already doing supply chain risk management literally since day one. And he has a huge passion for driving digitalization and helping companies. And it's truly out of his own personal motivation to help change the world. And this will really be something you can see in the interview. So I really hope you give this interview a chance. Wish you a great day. And now have fun with the interview. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Supply Chain Pioneers. And today I'm with John Bovitt from Everstream Analytics. Welcome, John. Hello. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> I really love having you here. Yeah, John, maybe you tell us a little bit about your exciting journey in supply chain management and also especially why you are in supply chain risk management. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting story going back, you know, well over 30 years now, really. Um, I started my career as a, you know, a technical uh, person in, in computer science business. <clears throat> Eventually, I found my way to Oracle Corporation, which was where I sort of started cutting my teeth on both in the technology. And it was just the start of sort of the Internet side of things and Internet technologies coming out. And uh, applications were really a big, you know, obviously SAP um, coming out of Germany was the, the leader at the time. And Oracle was starting the kind of the upstart. And they also launched an e-procurement suite. So it started me down the road of being really interested in, in sourcing procurement and, and supply chain, working with those applications. And then I ended up joining another company that viewers may have heard of called Arebo. Just after they went went public, I, I joined, and so I was there uh, early, and uh, obviously, really started getting into lots of facets of of uh, you know procurement and sourcing and analytics related, all related to you know uh, supply chain and things like that. So started getting into there, and then eventually, I made my way more specifically through um, through several companies uh, such as Aravo. Where I started getting more into supplier management, supplier risk management, and eventually supply chain manage, uh, risk management with a company called Resolink. Uh, I was one of the first employees there and then eventually found my way uh, to uh, Everstream. So I've been now been in supply chain risk management, which I think was sort of the start of the, the space when it got kind of defined and came out of a lot of work going back years um, for about 11 or 12 years now. So quite a while. Yeah, for sure. Okay, I have I have two questions. The first question is, when you first got exposure to the world of procurement, why did you find that to be fascinating? Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. I think at the time um, that I started getting into it, again going all the way back to when Oracle started their their move into the e-procurement e space. I remember we were at a, a big uh, sales kickoff at, at Oracle. A gentleman somewhat famous uh, called Ray Lane was the president of Oracle at the time, going back a long time. 
And he said, we are going to dominate this exciting new area uh, called e-procurement. And, and Ariba was already starting to, uh, there was Commerce One, there was, you know, obviously SAP. So there was a few players trying to vie for that. And I just, I got pulled into it. I was like, this is really neat. It's interesting. It's applying. It's had all the 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 things that I enjoyed, helping clients, a well-defined problem, um, a really easy, you know, reason to do it, automate these processes that have not been automated, you know, for a hundred years. So I, I really enjoyed that. And it was just at the very beginning. And, you know, when you're getting caught into a wave, <laughs> it, it, it makes it fun. And there was a big push at the time. So yeah, yeah it was fun stuff. A true pioneer fashion, so to speak. Another question I have, because you are by far and large, one of the most tenured people in the topic of supply chain risk management, especially when it comes to go to market. So when you started working on supply chain risk management, what was fascinating for you to say, this is what I'm going to do for the foreseeable future and beyond, actually? I really, really thought that this is going back to some big events, uh, you know, the Thailand floods, Fukushima and, and Japan and all the things. But there was a series of big events when I was working in, you know, in the space that said, geez, you know, companies are going to, this is going to keep happening. Um, and, you know, they, they had no way to really effectively uh, detect things going on around the world to understand the impact of the business effectively. So I remember being like, like, look, it, this is a, you know, at the time now big data and data science is, you know, what we all talk about every day, but then it was, it was a, effectively, you had to gather lots of data. You had to understand lots of languages to pull in and get, um, you know, uh, assimilate and understand really complex interconnections. And it just was a very fascinating, you know, I think if you talk to, as you do your series and you talk to different people that have been involved with it from going back, you know, 10 or plus years, they'll say the same thing that it seemed like a very interesting problem to solve. And a lot of companies had the same problem, you know, and, and uh, so that made it exciting. Again, something new, catch, you know, and, and, and help help change the world, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, uh, and it's exciting. It's exciting to do that with really large. I mean, at the time, it was really early adopters um, that were the only ones doing it were very early on. And mm -hmm. uh, so whenever we were working with clients, it was, you know, the, fo the more forward-thinking companies were doing it. I mean, you, yeah. can, you can. there wasn't a million of them. There was only a few at the time. So you already touched about um, you being one of the first in the go-to-market space, an evangelizer of supply chain risk management. You touched a little bit on the first couple of customers, but how was it early on, let's say maybe to 2016? And then how did you feel it developed Maybe let's stop at 220 for whatever reason for now. So let's take maybe the first 10 years and, and, and see what you think were major development steps in there. Like I said, there wasn't a lot of proof points at the time, right? When, whenever you're, you know, the, the, the adoption curve um, that you need, you need early adopters uh, of any new technology. And, and there were some that were trying to solve the problem or saw the problem, or I would say actually that some of the first ones that really adopted 
it was very early on. It was the time I remember when it ha- happened because I, I wrote an article in Forbes at the time mm-hmm. around the Thailand floods, and the Thailand floods was interesting when you look look back because it impacted some very specific core companies. Um, at that time, it was the hard drive manufacturers. They mm. all were in the same park in Thailand, and they yeah. got flooded, and it cut out the big, the global supply, which was just starting to really, you know, take off. And it was re- the world was really like they are, like we are at chips today. And then it was, you know, hard drive and storage was yeah. really so. It it had a big impact. So those companies that were impacted had to do something. So they started. And then uh, I would say pretty close to that, there were things like very specific events that people didn't hear about necessarily that impacted the automotive, you know, could, whether it was the some of the pigments that went into paint uh, or other things, you know, automotive started getting involved, high tech saw, and, and, and then those two are connected, those industries. So it started catching, you know, catching more momentum. And then eventually it started really spreading. Um, but I think it all started from some of those big issues that just some companies such as it's particularly in high tech and networking, they just couldn't, they could not stand having, having any delays in shipping products. It would have killed them and it did kill them. So they, they had to do something. And that's what kind of started the, I think the ball rolling uphill there. Yeah. So I, I worked in the technology space, as you know. And I know that the flood in Thailand next to hard drive also impacted the supply of optical connectors for Mm -hmm. optical fiber. Why I know, you might imagine. Uh, In addition to that, I think that in technology, especially, they have seen what a supply chain disruption can do, right? With the Mexico fire in 2001, where essentially Ericsson got shut down and never to return with a cell phone business. Very yeah. interesting. Another, that's another real famous example. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Actually, that was that was really something we were we had to review this case study once a year in my old company in telecommunication because it was a pivotal moment for changing the landscape. So now we come to another pivotal moment. How do you think COVID changed the idea of supply chain risk management for for supply chains in general? There's no doubt that it, it had a very significant impact. I think it it changed the fundamentals of it because everyone, everyone from uh, our parents to our grandparents to the children, <laughs> every industry, every company had felt it saw that supply I could not get you know toilet paper or my you know certain drugs or or uh, masks or needles or whatever it was it impacted everyone mm-hmm. and the 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 interesting thing about it was was it happened so quickly we started seeing what was happening in China it went from China because of the close connections to uh, like Milan Italy and Italy in general um, it it, it spread really fast to there, then throughout Europe, it, it got to the U.S. very quickly, and it, it just spread like crazy because of the the labor and the people impact, and of course impacted all the people dependent on those, that the workforce shut down. And when the workforce shut down, 
no ships could flow, <laughs> nothing was getting manufactured. So it, it really, it caused this effect that, you know, we'll hopefully we'll never see again in our lifetime, but, um, and our kids won't have to worry about it. But it, it, it had a really, I think the broadness of it and the impact, I mean, I, before, before COVID, I used to have to explain to my family what I did. Everyone thinks, oh, you're in IT, haha, <laughs> fix my phone and my computer. But um, uh, after that, everyone knows what I do now. <laughs> you know, everyone knows because it, 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 it was, I, you know, I can't get my, can't get my supplies. The cost of things went up, but it, it, I can't get a part for my uh, washer and dryer because of supply chain challenges. Right. So. I don't know what you, what your thoughts are, but that's, I just think it was the, how quick and how broad it happened. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that was definitely the, the chance for supply chains, right. To, to not only in supply chain risk management, but in general, just get more buy-in from uh, the board to make some moves. So I'm really hoping that a lot of organizations are taking this opportunity and, try to invest. Personally, I'm a big believer that a lot of people struggled, not only by working at home, but also the workload that was there for supply chain managers. And I'm not sure everybody has recovered until now. So it's, I think it's good to, to really work on the employee safety and avoiding burnout and investing in technology to help that, right? And Supply chain risk management technologies can be one part of that. Visibility, a data lake to really have everything in one place can also help a lot with that. So I feel there are a lot of there are different technologies that right now really would help people right working every day. And um, COVID is a good reason to invest. I remember at the time when 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 COVID was just starting, we we started doing weekly webinars or web webcasts on what was what was getting hit next, and it was like whole regions, right? It was going again. I remember, you know, it went from it was branching out in China, and then went to Italy. I remember that uh, very you know specifically, and then it started branching out, and then from there Europe, you know. Mm-hmm. kept popping up in different regions and you know obviously it hit germany uh fairly quickly after that so um it just went so fast and it, it impacted you know personal stories all of a sudden then you know you and i or people were talking to people and they're getting sick and all of a sudden it's like wow and then then the supply chain started getting impacted it was amazing it was a it was an amazing few years that i don't think we want to go through again but we did learn a lot i agree with you hopefully everyone's taking those lessons. And I think everyone has, I, I think we, you know, we, we forget pretty quickly and hopefully we, we won't for years to come. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We hopefully don't forget, right. Which would be a human tendency, but as a, a companies in total should be smarter than that, hopefully. So, okay. Now let's talk a little bit about right now. So you know, you were the Everstream analytics, right? This is also where we did these awesome webinars on the, on COVID, which really helped customers, it's great. But you're doing this now for a very long time. You already talked about 12 to 13 years. Why are you still here? Why are you still so, I mean, I talk to you on a daily basis. I always see your passion. So what is fueling your daily passion? When you really enjoy uh, what you do and new technology, you know, again, I'm a, I love data and technology and helping clients. And 
I think you you and I you know share that that type of passion and enjoy working and helping seeing helping clients apply what we do to solve real problems and that passion doesn't go away you know now we're living in you know data science artificial intelligence but you know you and I've been around for a long time and you see new things pop up that you can then apply to what you're doing to help help companies and it's fun uh, you know I enjoy it I enjoy working with with uh, you know good smart people I enjoy being on the forefront um, uh, in this uh, topic and I, yeah, I'm, I'm just as passionate about it now uh, as I was. And I think now because the technology and the data science and, and so forth is is now helping us do things faster, um, help more companies. I think it's, you know, the, the concept of we're democratizing things so we can help, you know, smaller and smaller companies with, with the same technology at, at the scale that we want. So, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just more to do. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's, uh, you know, it's if you if you uh, I, I believe in the saying, if you enjoy and you have fun, what you're doing, you're not working, you're just, you know, you're having fun. I think that's a very good answer, actually. Okay, now, going one step forward, you're, you're still in a go to market role. But you're more now also looking at uh, developing a new product that is discovered which automated sub-tier visibility, a lot based on AI and data. And you already talked a little bit about your reasoning, why you really wanted to take on that challenge. But I, I find your, yeah, maybe you talk a little bit more about this because it's really, your take is very interesting. It, it was, it, it's really, I think, one of the ways that we can help a lot of companies really quickly. Um, Companies over the years, one of the the weak the weaknesses and the hardest part of supply chain risk management was really around understanding the sub tiers in in some scalable way. You know, you could ask your suppliers, you can send them a survey, you can gather information, but you, the information is slow, takes a long time. It, you know, you only get back a little bit of information. Um, you can only ask them about who their suppliers are because they don't know more than that they would only know who they do business with so i think what attracts me and attracted me to this technology um, is the ability to do it at scale so to, to make connections beyond tier two into tier three tier four um, and the number of challenges that we couldn't address before we can now address things like well if i can map these things at, at scale deep enough in the supply chain, could we help avoid a lot of the problems that we're seeing in the world? Forced labor, even forget COVID for a moment, but, you know, some of the earlier, you know, the problems in Thailand floods and Japan, could we have helped uh, companies much more effectively if we had the, these maps done? I think you and I would agree, yes. So I think the, and then the other side of it is, is from a, if you understood your supply chain and where who were you know, providing to whom, there's a business uh, sourcing, procurement, supply chain benefit of knowing that. So it has a huge number of benefits. Um, now, I think with recent technology advances and data availability and other reasons, we can do it much more effectively than we could years ago. You know, so it's an it's one of the natural evolutions. But I I find it. I think it's the killer app, you know, for our, you know, space, right? It's it's the capability yeah. to really add a lot of value very quickly. 
you mentioned one topic that I actually want to lead into right now. So it's a perfect segue. Thank you very much. And it's child labor. So one of the key recent trends that I really like to discuss with you is the convergence of sustainability and risk management. We see more and more companies trying to adopt a similar practice for both of them. What is your take on that? It's been a long time coming. Um, you know, you can see there's been some companies that have gone into different facets of it to, to help. Um, a lot of companies uh, have really embraced, which is good. It's a good thing. They've embraced, you know, environmental or, you know, or social or, uh, or ESG, uh, you know, from a governance perspective, but they've embraced that in a, in a serious way um, over the years. And, um, now with, you know, what you and I do, um, it, we, you know, we could say we've been touching on it for, for many years, but now it's really come to the point where, you know, it's one thing to ask who you do business with, you know, questions, but it's another, you know, Hey, are you a social, you know, good social citizen that I do business with you. I want to make sure I'm doing business with someone that's a good social citizen, um, environmental practices and so forth. Um, it's another to to understand it, who there's you know who they do business with, who they do business with. So now the technology is now making this where they can do this on a much broader, bigger scale. How that how that helps doing this assessment of environmental and social issues, and we're seeing that we're seeing it impact in a really big way. I think you would agree that you know the two coming together is really creating a a, um, you know, a solution that is, that any company can deploy um, and, and, and be, uh, and, and, and try to rid the world, you know, once and for all. One, one thing that's, I think, really fascinating about, you know, forced labor and, and child labor and other things like that are that it's all about economics. If there was no money in it, they would stop doing it. So who are the ones who drive the economic engine? It's the companies. So if the companies can stop it, it could really make a big impact. So I, I, you know, I think you and I would both take take pleasure in in helping companies drive out forced labor and child labor because you know there's millions and millions of them around the world, um, issues everywhere. And if we could stop it, do anything to stop it uh, and, and slow it down, it it you know it's it's a wonderful thing. So. You know, it, it it helps drive passion too, because we, you know, let's face it, being able to say you can, you're changing the world is uh, is also nice. <laughs> Couldn't agree more, actually. So, and it's great because right, like one plus one really equals three in this case. You already have data sets that are extremely similar. It doesn't take a lot to convert other data sets into that algorithm. For me, it's a match made in heaven. Okay. One of the big compliance topics these days, especially in America, is the Uyghur Forced Labor Protection Act. Oh, I'm very glad I made that in one piece. And I know that you personally are very much uh, looking into that with keen interest. And also, I saw you saw the regulation and you jumped on it day one. You were like, this is going to be something great. And I really want to hear, what was your reasoning? I mean, as you know, I was at that point, probably, you know, about a year into launching Everstream Discover to map sub-tiers um, and UFLPA um, law passed in the U.S. And 
when I kind of read through the law and saw what was required and um, specifically uh, what companies would need to do to support the law and abide by the law, I, I, I thought, wow, it's really, the, again, the coming together of, of all these, you know, it's just a, a, a one example of what, you know, you and I have been kind of focused on here is what, what got me into it was the fact that we can then apply what we do to help companies because they needed to do something. So someone was going to help them do this, I think. Um, but also, if you read through and understood what was going on, you you know that and you could knew you could help, which I thought we, we could help with our uh, ability to deliver this. Um, you know, we, you know, not just me, but, you know, our team here, um, proud of what we accomplished, because I think we went from having, you know, nothing to something that could was really effective at helping clients um, very quickly using our technology and discover in our application. And really, I think it, it really is helping a lot. And um, now we're seeing now, if you look back and now you, you know, look back to what happened and then net today, it's only getting more, it's getting wider again. It, it's, it's sort of like if you could, um, if you knew how serious COVID was when you first, you know, started seeing it, um, you would do something different. Well, this time we sort of, you know, said we're going to jump on it and help because, you know, we could and, and it's the right thing to do. And, and that's what we did. And I think, you know, really, really proud of it. And I think we're, you know, the proof is there. We're, we're, we're winning awards on it and 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 uh, customers are really appreciating what we're doing. So um, to the point where, um, you know, Jim Hayden and I presented in Washington, D.C. on it. So, I mean, it's it's, you know, we're getting some good recognition, but it's all around, you know, helping everyone. And, and uh, I'm real proud of that too. So thanks for bringing that up because I'm yeah. really proud of it. Talking about oh, another great segue, talking about helping everybody. You are also a volunteer on the Marvel's Kids Museum locally. So children there learn by playing with hands-on exhibits, right? So what did you learn there that could help people get quicker engaged in supply chain management or supply chain risk management? My wife and I and our family have been touched by, you know, uh, a child with special needs. My wife helped, uh, you know, take care of him when he was young. And, and uh, from that, we sort of started donating our time to doing autism, you know, uh, events, uh, you know, uh, marathons and walks around that or volunteering our time in, at local uh children's activities or whatever. So we've been doing that for, for many years. Um, and uh, I think it, you know, kind of pulled us in and we've been doing that. My wife is a social worker and, and teacher by, by training. Um, I'm, I'm the technologist as we touched on. And uh, so we sort of started trying to help in different ways that we could. And as you know, you can volunteer your time, you can, you can donate money, you can, you know, get more involved and, you know, that uh, Mar uh, the Mar Marbles Museum is uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina is, is one, one thing, but we've been involved in the North Carolina Autism Society for many years and donating time and participating in that and other, other things like cancer walks and other stuff, just, you know, little things you can do to, mm. to help that we all, you know, should try to do. So that's how we got into it going way back. Okay. 
So that's also how you, that's also where you got a lot of passion for the sustainability topics, I believe, right? Because yeah, you're already yeah, living Yeah, it's probably it. true. Yeah, it's yeah. probably true. Just, you know, you want to, at some level, you want to help, right? <laughs> so yeah. No, you need I... some level of motivation that we, that, that, that it's not all about just uh, doing your job anymore. It's, you know, can we help, help the rest of the world? Because we're all connected at this point, right? I mean, look, yeah. look at you and I, you know, you're on one you're over there, I'm over he here, and we have colleagues spread even further, and uh, we're all just working to, to together to try to do do these things, right? <laughs> yeah. There are, you're really one of the people where I really believe they want to make a change and a positive impact in their life. So I, I really appreciate that. So another one, a very hard question now, actually. So a couple of weeks ago, you shared with me a link on a YouTube channel from Rick Beato. And now I can't stop watching that anymore. Actually, I'm very addicted. So I want you now to answer me. What are similarities between a rock band and a supply chain? Because that's only fair. Yeah, that is a tough one. I, I did uh, play the drums and, uh, and and do things when I was growing up. Uh, participated but not not as much as an adult but you carry that kind of passion for um you know rock music at least i do i carry the passion for rock music uh throughout my life but but yeah no it it's it sort of there there's there's a lot of similarities um i think the the biggest thing that i i see and why i i enjoy um things like what rick beato does and what other youtubers and other i actually buy books on it and read about First, how do they create? How do they create these classic songs that you and I, you know, lots of people love? How, what was the process of creation? I find very, very fascinating. Um, do they collaborate? Do they do it independently? Do they? How do they do it? I, I, I love that. And, and you and I are involved in a lot of things where you have to sort of create. And, and, and also, the second part is, is how do you do it as a team? So. Uh, almost very in, uh, rarely do musicians act alone. They always have collaborators. And just like you and I collaborate to get to work on things with and you and I and, and others, um, you have to collaborate. You have to work together. And that's where the best ideas and creativity and, and uh, things that last come from. It's not from one person. And that's, I'll tell you, that's why I'm really fascinated with music, um, you know, you can literally study how one of your pick a favorite song from years ago and study how it was created. And you'll see a lot of similarities. Yeah. It, you know, it was usually more than one person. It was a collaborator who had more people. There was a producer and then eventually it and then how did it it was just music. So how did it get listened to? How did it roll, you know, roll out? And there's a lot of similarities to what you and I do. Uh, with customers, right? You know, how we all work together, how we come up with ideas, and then how we get them out there. And so I guess there's similarities there. And I I, uh, I think it's uh, very interesting. And I literally, you know, like I said, read books and watch videos on, on classic songs and how they come to be, because I find them very fascinating. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think about that a lot as well. I don't read about it. I just think about it. For me, one of the classical examples is the intro to Paradise City from Guns N' Roses. Because, yes, the guitar playing is great, but it wouldn't be one of the classic intros to a rock song if not 
the voice sets in at exactly the right time with the right mood. It's just the atmosphere is epic. Good. So now I have one last question. <laughs> and that is, I, I literally had to chase you for that interview. I, I really wanted to work with you on this because I, I, I love your personality. I love your passion and you're doing so much good. So why did you not want to do this? <laughs> well, I don't know. I, um, I'm not. You enjoy it now is more the question. Actually. Yeah, no, no. This was fun. I appreciate it. Um, you know, I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm a humble person and I uh, don't like to talk about myself. I, I very rarely talk about myself. Yeah. So I think that's. That's probably it. I'm, I'm, I much rather talk about you or others than, than myself. <laughs> so, but no, it was fun. It's always good to be a little uh, introspective and, and uh, think about where you came from, because that's how we'll, you know, we'll launch into the future, right? We still have yes. a lot more uh, years left, <laughs> hopefully, knock on wood. For sure. So with that, I would say, thank you so much, John. Let's call it a day. Thank you. Yeah, thank we you. We will talk again soon. I know probably, that. yeah, probably in uh, what time? Yeah, what time? Yeah, is what it, time? So. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, take care. Here. Thanks. Appreciate it all. Yeah. Have a nice day, everyone. Bye bye. Bye bye. This was Supply Chain Pioneers. Thanks for watching, listening, or however you are enjoying this podcast. You can find Supply Chain Pioneers on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all other major podcast players, as well as on YouTube at Ulf Talk Supply Chain. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment. See you next time.